Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? We're back. It's been a little bit of time since we put out a regular free episode in yeah. current times. I know you posted something last week during right. our absence for the freeloaders. Yeah. Um, those, of, those of you Patreon members have probably already heard that episode, but nonetheless, we're back. Yeah, I thought that was a good one to post because, you know, it went along with the uh, Freeway Killer series. Yeah. You know, so we went ahead and put out part four of the Freeway Killer yep. series, which are very spread out over our uh, catalog. I think some the of them Freeway are Killer actually series in the vault. Is, the Freeway Ser- Killer series is kind of like a gift that keeps on giving every year. You know, we yeah. find another one to do, kind of like the video game series as well. Yeah. And, and the video, Lotto winners. And the Lotto winners. the series that will never end, really. <laughs> no. I just found another video gaming uh, murder that oh. is probably going to be on the next uh, edition, but... Um, that will come with time. Okay. As for now, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas week. That's right. Hope everybody's having a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate. That's right. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. And we thought we would squeeze this one in. It'll be the last thing I think we do for TCG Productions this week. Yep. yep. And then we'll see you next year, right? No, actually, we'll probably put out an episode before New Year's. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll probably be one more at the end of the year. Yeah. Maybe but as we'll for this episode, one. we're going back to the 70s and in Oregon into the the beautiful woods of Oregon. Yes, the Pacific Northwest. Has there there been any serial killers up there? I can't can't recall any. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) Nope, none at all. Definitely lacking in that area. Yeah, never any killers up there. No. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Um, This this case is kind of well-known in the the true crime circles, I suppose, Uh, thanks in part to the great Anne Rule and her writing a chapter in one of her books about this case, uh, the book called Empty Promises. There was a chapter dedicated to this case, and also there was a Forensic Files episode dedicated to this case as well. Mm -hmm. That would be season nine, episode 10, uh, titled Head Games. That's what this, this case is based on, and it's got some interesting elements to it. It's also quite creepy. Uh, to put yourself uh, to put yourself in the shoes of uh, one of the victims here. Mm-hmm. The other victim didn't really know what was happening until it happened, and I don't yeah. feel as bad for him as I do for his wife, right? Who's suffered ever since. But it's an interesting case. Let's get into it. Let's do it, man. Young love, but love nonetheless. Just wanted a place to breathe, a place to rest. Two had become one, and their life had just begun. No money, no matter, being together was priority number one. Nature all around them as their hearts raced, full of trust, although misplaced, unaware of the trials that they were doomed to face. How could one fathom such sudden interruption, one that fills you with sadness to the point of eruption? One life, two life, three lives ruined, like trying to breathe with lungs full of fluid. The truth is unbelievable, just to survive, you make up a story, knowing it's a lie. Too weak to scream, too scared to cry. Now your salvation rests with the villain, a true antagonist, with no hero to kill him. Join him or die, he says with a smile. You feel helpless like an orphan child, left to the wolves out here in the wild. It's over now, and you feel unclean, unable to cleanse your mind of the things you've seen. The truth bubbles up like an active spring. Oh, how you wish it was all just a bad dream. Or just a story on your TV screen. One you could shut off and go on with your life. But it follows you everywhere like the tail of a kite. Fluttering behind you at the mercy of the wind. You ask what if. But it changes nothing in the end. All right, for our case this week, like I said, we're going back to the 70s in Oregon, and we're going to start out with a young married couple, um, mm-hmm. the, the female being very young, almost uh, like too young, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. 16, hey, right? How do you feel about it? Your daughter's close to this age. How would you feel about her marrying a 20-year-old? I don't, I don't feel too good about it. I don't feel too good about it at all. <laughs> um, and even in even in nineteen, you know, what was this? The seventies, yeah, right? Even in the seventies, yeah. still. But I think uh, her religious parents had a lot to do with with uh, pushing this marriage yeah. a little early. Yeah. I think they realized that their daughter was on the brink of of a physical relationship, and they thought, "Oh well, we'll feel better about it if you're married." So let's yeah. go ahead and get this going. Yeah. So I know that played heavily into it. Yeah, so we'll start out with uh, Jose Julio Torres, who was born in Ensenada, Baja, California, on July 30th, 1955, and shares a birthday with Bud Selig, Lawrence Fishburne, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Yeah. What a crew. Bud C like a baseball guy, right? I'm, I'm not a he baseball He is person. the commissioner of baseball, yes. Is he still, still or was he? He still is, unfortunately. <laughs> we need <laughs> what is he like 90 because i feel like that's even like an old guy name uh he is definitely holding baseball back in my opinion i feel like okay. we need a fresh face in there we need you know somebody. as an outsider i agree it just seems like such an antiquated old man sport yeah who like cares people have no interest in watching we're just like what are they doing they're still doing that huh are cool. you still guys yeah. still keeping score with pencils and shit in the stands like what, what's going on here listening they're still doing the it fm fm transmitter listening to the to the radio call of it right yeah, unless you're uh, in Houston, I guess nobody really gives a shit. I guess uh, Philly made a run for the World Series this year, and they got pretty into it. Yeah. Um, you know how Philly fans are, so they kind of, I'm sure baseball was pretty pretty prominent there. But uh, yeah, okay. Houston, I, say what? I was, I was calling them Fairweather fans. I, I know they're oh. not in Philly. They're pretty <laughs> hardcore fans of all their teams. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just they're maybe hardcore. a bit of a hater because I'm the biggest competition for the for the Eagles this year as a Niner fan. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just, and I have a, a coworker that's a big Philly fan, and it's, he's just been obnoxious. And <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hoping somehow we can take them out in the playoffs. They're just uh, You got to, right? Especially with, uh, with Mr. Irrelevant. That would just be too good. That would be too oh, juicy. Exactly. <laughs> Your work day is going to get rough. <clears throat> right. I told him he can't show his face anymore if he loses to to Brock Purdy in the playoffs. <laughs> right on. Anyways, right on. good old Arnold too. I mean, that's he's one of the biggest celebrities ever, really. Yeah, yeah. You have to talk about Arnold a true on American American story. You know, like coming as an immigrant from another country and then becoming like one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, no doubt. It's his crazy. success story is crazy. It really no is. Doubt. And then just to politician, work, just pure hard work and and determination. Yeah, the guy you could barely understand him, and he became one of the biggest movie stars. In the I know, world. right? He just played himself in every movie. Yeah, I mean, so does The Rock, and you know, he's doing the same thing. It's like once you, yeah. if you're big enough, you know, it pays to do a lot of steroids <laughs> and be enormous, right? I it guess does. So. That's what it I'm saying. Get you a lot of roles in film. Exactly. There's always a role for a guy who has a superhero build. I mean, you gotta, yeah. you gotta know that. So Very true. Back to the yeah, story. Back Julio to the story. Torres, who was born in California in 1955. He had 14 siblings. Dude, you know what really bugged me about it? Everything that I watched and um, all the interviews that I saw, everyone pronounced his name Julio. Yeah. Did that not bug the shit out of you? Is that is that maybe that's how he pronounced it? But I maybe. mean, why would maybe, you? But why would your first name also, be Jose? Also, how many of them were like how mu- how much of what you studied was like British or something like that? Or what, what was the origin of it? Because a lot of these true crime docs are like they they seem like they originate from Britain. They always have that British accent and like. I don't think no, it did as it well was, with Spanish names. Well, there was interviews with his wife, and then there was interviews with her mother, and they still called him Julio. Maybe it is Julio. Maybe we're the ones that are wrong. Maybe but, we should just call him Julio since everyone else is. I don't know. Yeah, everybody calls him Julio, which is weird, right. especially when your first name is actually Jose, because you know it ain't Jose. I mean, yeah. now yeah. I'm even more conflicted. I didn't know his first name was Jose. So yeah. it's Jose well, went by Julio. Julio. Come on. We'll go. We'll go with Julio because right. the, one of the study sources I used was Case File, and he's from Australia, I believe. And I just figured, you know, he's Australian. He doesn't understand that Julio is Julio, not Julio. No, everybody but said. Julio. I guess everyone's calling him Julio. So yeah, Julio, it is. Anyways, <laughs> Julio <laughs> was born in Baja, California. Had 14 siblings. Jesus. Um, and moved to Canby, Oregon in 1961 when he was six years old. Moved, obviously, with his family and his 14 siblings. <laughs> right. Not on his own. <laughs> Not on his own. Maybe. I mean, maybe his parents were so busy with all the siblings that he's just like, the stick with the bag over his shoulder and I'm out right. here. <laughs> Julio grew up fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Julio seemed to love nature. He, uh, uh, as in his late teens, early 20s, he worked for Arneson's Nursery in Canby, Oregon. Okay. And one of his favorite things to do was was fish, um, and that yeah. plays a big role in this case. Um, at some point when he was 20 years old, he met a 15-year-old girl named Kendra Tim, who uh, whom he would they would quickly their relationship would get serious mm-hmm. and serious enough to it would scare Kendra's father enough to thinking this is going to get physical. We're very uh, deeply religious, and right. I don't want you guys um, having any sex before marriage so basically he kind of pushed them yeah he pushed them to get married within a year and they would get married on july 22nd 1975 uh making kendra tim kendra torres and as we mentioned him 20 her 15 mm-hmm. mm. kind of gross 
now. Yeah. Look, I mean, by today's standards, I think people grew up a lot quicker back then. We talk about that all the time. Right. You know, right, right. In the seventies, fifteen-year-olds were a lot more mature than fifteen-year-olds in twenty twenty-two. Right. Still. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. But still, that's a that's yeah, a still that's kinda, a, uh, it's, it's like five years. Uh, like if you get married at twenty-five and twenty, not so big. But yeah. twenty and fifteen. Five know, five years in that teenage window is such a drastic difference. It's crucial. Like, the thought of a fifteen-year-old dating a ten-year-old would disgust everyone. That's still five years. You know, it's just. That's a great point. But yet, twenty and twenty-five, you're now both mature. It's different. Right. So, anyways, it was a different time. Yep. Different time. And they seem to fit each other well. They and and proof is in the pudding. When a year later, they they were ready to celebrate their anniversary, and it seemed like they they had a great marriage going on, mm-hmm. and it was fine. Absolutely. Um, so the newlyweds settled into a Canby apartment with their collie Rusty, which was Kendra's dog since childhood. It's an older dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they kept the dog and had an apartment together, and were living a very modest life. They didn't have, you know, hardly two pennies to rub together, but they seemed happy. And a year later, in July of 1976, Julio and Kendra wanted to take a trip somewhere to celebrate their first anniversary, but they had very little money, as I mentioned. And right. so, what do you do when you have almost no money? Um, there's always wilderness out there for you, and That's it doesn't right. charge you to be there most of the time. So. They decided to go on a camping excursion in the great Oregonian outdoors. And, of uh, course, they would take along their dog, Rusty. Of course. Um, get him out, stretch them old legs uh, <laughs> on that trip. And as yeah. I mentioned, Julio loved to fish. So this is another, you know, this is one of his passions. And he thought he wanted to share it with Kendra, his wife. Right. And so they drove into uh, to, to the Mount Hood National Forest to camp and do some fishing on the Clackamas River. Um. And so they'd been there for a day or two um, by, by Friday, July 23rd. Um, and by then, they'd become slightly desperate. Uh, they'd had no success fishing. Uh, the area they were in, Julio didn't know very well, um, and he was having no success fishing. And um, on that evening of Friday, Friday, July 23rd, they were also running low on gas. They had, you know, went into the woods with a full tank of gas, but they've driven around a lot, and now they're getting right. low. They only had $20 left to their name for emergencies. And, uh, but they weren't ready. I mean, the weekend was just starting. They were still, they still wanted to, you know, have a good time and catch some fish and eat them out there potentially. Right. They were really trying to rough it out here on this little excursion. Yeah. They didn't bring a lot of food. And failing and becoming desperate. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so that evening they were near the North Fork Dam and Julio spotted a man standing on a dock near the dam alone. Julio approached him asking for advice on fishing in the area. Um, this man uh, was driving an old red GMC pickup, and it, as it turned out, his name was Tom Brown. He was 29 years old, so a bit okay. older than the two of them, quite a bit older than Kendra. Right. Um, and it was just Julio that approached him initially, and Tom had mentioned that he had been in the woods doing some logging. He was a, a logger, and he had mentioned that earlier that day while in the woods, he had witnessed a fish dump into a river nearby. So I guess wildlife management or whatever had come out and dumped a truckload of fish into a river right. a little further into the woods. And he said, that's where I'm headed. Okay. Um, and so, you know, this is exciting for Julio, who wants to have some success fishing and actually share with his, his young wife right. his it's passion. Hard. It's hard to sell. not just get skunked. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It's hard to sell fishing to somebody when you don't catch anything, you know. It's like, yeah. are we fishing or are we sitting on a bank? You know, right. it's like yep. for someone who doesn't, is somebody who was wanting to do it more in his relationship, he was like, we got to have some success out here. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Trying to sell this right now. It's not working yeah. out. So Julio was uh, unsure about taking his car uh, further into the woods with only a half tank of gas. Um, however, Tom reassured him that if he ran out of gas or got stuck, he'd help him get back. He had his pickup with plenty of gas in it. Right, of course. And so Good they Samaritan. followed along. They followed Tom and his pickup further up into the woods um, to a place just past Bagby Hot Springs Road, quite mm-hmm. a drive from where they were. And now they're really low on gas. Um, right. And uh, there was almost no people around. I think they saw one person driving past them as they went up in there. And as the sun was setting, Tom finally pulled into a camping spot and the trio set up camp for the night. So they're going to camp with this man they just met. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Generally speaking, not the best idea. You meet some random person in the woods and you just start camping with them. Right. Especially in a time when you had no technology or, you know, you're just alone in the woods with this guy. Yeah. Following this guy deeper no into means the of woods. communication. Where you, yeah. in areas you are not familiar with. 
Yeah. Yeah, this already already gives me the creeps. Yeah. And so that evening around the campfire, Tom shared a bit of his liquor with the couple to kind of put them at ease. Mm -hmm. And they set off on a brief evening walk, um, Tom bringing his deer hunting rifle with him. Um, he took them to a meadow that he knew well where there was usually game. Mm -hmm. And they observed some deer and even some bear cubs playing. And there's more on that story later. Yeah. Um, but any hunting that Tom would be doing would be illegal. That's, it was the summer months and, you know, in Oregon, in most states during summer, you're not deer hunting. You're mm -hmm. not, you're allowed to be rifle hunting in, in summer. So you're just poaching. Yeah. So yeah, if he would have shot anything, it would have been poaching. I think it was a lot more common back in the sixties and seventies in the U S to, to just shoot animals. Yeah. It was know, a lot harder to track and things like that. A lot harder to track yeah, back exactly. then. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, they didn't shoot anything that evening. And that night they slept in their own vehicles. Obviously, uh, Kendra and Julio in their car and uh, Tom in his truck. Mm -hmm. And Tom would wake them up early that next morning by banging on the, the hood of their car and uh, telling them, you know, let's go to the river and try and catch some fish for breakfast. Right. And so they set out, I'm sure Julio excited to finally get some action. And so they would hike through an overgrown trail that led to a riverbank and they would kind of stay a little bit away from each other along the river fishing and having no success. So mm -hmm. still a lost cause as far as fishing goes. Yeah. That fish dump didn't, uh, didn't pay off. Yeah. Imagine maybe the, the fish got dropped in the river and just kept swimming down. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's not like a pond, you know, I don't know how that works river wise. Like you dump right. them in, where do they end up? I don't know. Yeah, no. Right. That's a good point. I have a feeling, <clears throat> you, you know, if you go right where the, where the fish dump happened and it's a river, you might want to go a little further down. Yeah. You might want to go a little further down. Flows. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It just makes sense to me, gravity-wise. <laughs> I'm no expert. Right. So once back at camp, Tom and Julio decided they would try their hand at hunting instead. Uh -oh. um, they called it hunting, but what we mentioned was uh, was actually poaching. It was illegal at that mm -hmm. time of the year to, to go doing it. Um, but nonetheless, the two set off with their rifles, one for each of them, both of them being Tom's rifles. One of them I know was like a 22 Savage. I forget what the other one was. Okay. Um, haven't heard much about hunting deer with a 22 caliber rifle. I was about to say like quite enough, but you're not going to have a lot of success with that. I know there's different calibers of 22. There's like uh, magnums and things like that. They're much bigger. Okay. They have more gunpowder in them. I actually have a 22 rifle. It's a, it takes the larger rounds. Yeah. The bullet itself is obviously the same size, but there's a, right. you know it's a bigger shell with more powder in it, more knockdown power. Okay. Um. Anyways, three days later. Uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit for the sake of the story, but we'll get back to, we'll fill in the space, kind of like a Tarantino film here. Yeah. So Julio and Tom set off to to hunt, and we're going to fast forward to three days later. Kendra and Tom, no Julio, Kendra and Tom walk into the office of the Oregon City Attorney's Office, a guy named James O'Leary. This mm -hmm. was on the morning of Tuesday, July 27th, 1976, and they had a tragic story to tell. During Tom and Julio's deer poaching, they said uh, that the two had spotted a deer and during the process of passing back and forth each other's binoculars and rifles, one of the rifles had gone off shooting Julio in the head and killing him instantly. Okay. My first question is why the hell are you passing back and forth rifles if you both have one? Like, what is it? Yes. Here, that here. Is, you want to try mine? You want, let me try yours. Oh, you I try understand mine? the passing uh, back and forth of binoculars if you only have yeah. one set. Passing back and forth rifles doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at, at all. all. That yeah. seems like an unnecessary risk right there. And also for someone who had been around guns as much as Tom Brown yeah. seems had to have been, who Julio a little more understanding if it was his own gun that went off and killed himself or right. an accident happened to Tom because of Julio. But like Tom accident his gun accidentally shooting Julio seems like that's Dude, you've been around guns how long? Like, you know the rules. You don't ever, like, barrel swipe someone where you you right. always have barrel control. It's always pointed at the ground or in the, at the sky. And you exactly. always have your safety on until you don't put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot something. So your scope is on the target. I'm saying you handed the All gun to somebody rules. with your finger on the trigger like an idiot or something. Like yeah. I, don't. I will say some of those old rifles from the 60s and 70s, like I, I still have um, a, two, a 243 Remington, I, I believe it is, mm -hmm. and that we had to actually replace the the trigger mechanism on it because that gun would would fire. It would misfire. Like you just, if you had a, a round in it and you sat it down and just like vibrated it, sometimes the gun would just go off. Oh, shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it is a thing, but at the same time, that's why you don't ever point a barrel at anyone. Ever. And yeah. Also, why the fuck are you, like you said, why are you passing the guns back and forth? Yeah. It just I, doesn't it's, add up. No. A lot of things didn't add up, as we'll come to find out. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, as far as law enforcement side was, they're getting these two people coming in and telling the same story. Kendra right. was was absolutely telling the same story. She was backing up Tom Brown in that her husband was shot by Tom accidentally. Right. This was an accident. Um, and also the story went at, that as after Julio was unfortunately killed by being shot in the head accidentally, as Tom rushed back to camp, the Torres's dog, Rusty, had become aggressive over the incident. The gun goes off, uh-huh. Julio's down. The story goes that the dog became aggressive with Tom and Tom had to shoot the dog in self-defense as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think the dog would understand what the hell just happened. Yeah, sometimes when dogs don't know what's going on, when people are wrestling and stuff, they'll get aggressive because they don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, not the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard. It's an old dog. I believe more so that a dog would get aggressive over people wrestling than I would a gunshot. The gunshot would just be like, the dog's not going to realize what the hell just happened. You would think it would run off a little bit, right? Yeah. If anything. The dog's not seeing that as a threat. That's not how animals fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? That That doesn't add up. And it was a collie well, too. It was not like it was a an aggressive breed, like a German Shepherd or a Doberman or a Pitbull or something. It's like it's a collie, man. Yeah, I don't know. You're gonna upset some people. That's just, we just got one start. You're, what? You're, you're you insinuating that some breeds are more aggressive, Michael? I mean, it's a track record. I have German Shepherds. <laughs> I was and gonna say you're yeah, Mr. German Shepherd. I have so. German Shepherds, and I have. Well, you them did for mention a Pitbull, and there's no more. Uh, uh, aggressive groups than pit bull people, so just watch it. Watch it closer, <laughs> hey, there's a reason you have them as guard dogs. You feel safer <laughs> hey, with that pit bull. Mix. I have a pit mix. She's very sweet. Listen, if if all dogs are the same aggressive, get rid of your pit bull and get you a poodle and see how safe you feel. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, nonetheless, yeah. Kendra and Tom are telling the same story. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she said that she had witnessed both events. She had witnessed the death of Julio, her husband, and she had witnessed the death of her childhood dog. This dog she loved very much and had it for a long time. Yeah. Um, and she's telling the story that Tom was not to blame here. He was not at fault. It was just all just a tragedy. And, uh, their story also went that during the three days that Tom and Kendra, uh, were out there. So this happened Saturday, right? Right. And now it's Tuesday. So, like, of course, law enforcement's like, what the hell took you so long to come and tell us what happened? Yeah. Um, if uh, there, you know, that basically Kendra had to uh, talk him into going in and telling law enforcement what had happened. That's what they're saying is because she, he had a criminal record and mm-hmm. he was worried about the police trying to blame him for this. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so they, they told law enforcement that during the three days that they were in the woods following the uh, accidents, um, they had covered Julio or Julio and Rusty's bodies with brush, gone further into the woods, getting rid of the rifle and ammunition. Mm-hmm. And um, as we mentioned, Tom was allegedly scared to come forward about the incident due to his past. He said, quote, I have a criminal record and I didn't want to face authorities. I was afraid they wouldn't believe me. And he did indeed have an extensive and violent criminal past that maybe the police initially didn't look to look into enough. They just kind of bought this story at wholesale. Yeah. Um, due to the fact that the person that was one of the victims would have nothing to gain, it seemingly from telling the same story. Kandra, why would Kandra back exactly. up his story as why a victim, indeed. as someone whose husband was shot and her dog was shot? Why would she back this up? And we'll mm-hmm. go into that later. Obviously, there's a reason for it. Right. Um, but nonetheless, looking into Tom Brown's history, uh, it was pretty damning. At age 16, he had acquired a gun from a friend and quickly ran a woman off the road with his truck, approaching her, putting the gun to her head, and attempting to rob her. Jesus. He, uh, he didn't actually pull the trigger on her and allowed her to uh, evade on foot, mm-hmm. um, at which point police responded. Uh, he then shot at police, uh, broke into a home, stole a truck, shot a man in the stomach through his kitchen window just for fun. Just a guy, like one of those kind of guys who would just shoot things for fun. Yikes. Shot a man through his window for fun in the stomach. The guy would survive, but how fucking scary is that? Yeah, that's fucked up. Um, following this incident, uh, this is all when he was 16. Uh, he was sent to reform school, and upon his release, he entered into a relationship with a woman who had children. When the oh, woman God. broke up with Tom, he abducted her and her children, driving them up into the mountains, held them captive overnight before returning them, which is eerily similar to what just happened. Right? Very similar. 
And also, so it makes you wonder how much did the police look into his background, you know, because that's just right there. I know, right? <laughs> Holding a family captive in the in the woods, far too, yeah. far too uh, many coincidences here. Right. And this family would end up not pressing charges, even the mother. And you can kind of see why, because, you know, he didn't hurt them per se. So I don't know what they, she was probably like, he's going to get a slap on the wrist. He's young. He's going to get back out. And I'm sure he threatened her. In the same way, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure he threatened well, her. We'll get into all that. Uh, we have we have some stuff to fill in with this story. Yeah. No, I mean I'm t- I'm talking about the woman with children. Oh yes, yes. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure he threatened her and oh. was like, "Yeah, you want to press charges? Go ahead. But when I get out, I'm, I'll find you." Hundred percent. That's you know in by her own admission. She said that she didn't report him because she was afraid about rich retribution. Yeah. And rightfully so. I can't even blame her. This is exactly the type of guy who would. If you did press charges, he would bide his time in prison. He says this later about this incident. Mm-hmm. He would bide his time however long it took, and he would come and hunt you down afterwards. Yep. He would have done that. Yep. Absolutely. And so I don't blame that woman for not uh, pressing charges against him. I, I know. I probably wouldn't have either. Seriously. What do you do in that situation? Yeah. It would later be discovered as well that the red pickup truck that he was currently driving at this time in Oregon had been stolen uh back in nebraska and he had a warrant an active warrant in nebraska for that auto theft he knew the guy that he stole the truck from i think he was the guy employed him and he stole the truck and drove it to oregon and then you know how it was in the 70s yeah they didn't have like the digital footprint of things right you know so you just take something and go to another state and you're just going to get away with it pretty much (laughs) right (laughs) it's crazy as long as nobody thinks that would have been enough right if the police in oregon you know, upon this uh, story being told, looking into him, they would have somehow, you would think they would found out that truck he's driving is stolen, right? I know, right? And then taken him in for that and then maybe dug deeper into this story of how this guy and this dog got killed in the woods, but they didn't. Right. It seems like that would be enough to hold him for long enough to get yeah. the story straight, like you say, yeah. Right. And give Kandra some time away from him to uh-huh. get her head clear, which is all it took Yes. to get to the truth. Yes. So hearing this story from both of them that matched up perfectly they even took them into separate rooms and interviewed them separately so to see if they could find some inconsistencies in their story and unfortunately they could not this their story was rock solid on both ends it matched up perfectly mm-hmm. Kendra was adamant that julio's death was a tragic accident and she was grateful even for tom taking care of her and getting her out of the woods afterwards because she knew that she would have probably died had she been left up there in the woods alone right she wow. was, you know, 16 at this time, didn't know anything about survival in the woods. And she, you know, very impressionable, didn't... very afraid. Yeah. 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 Later that evening, uh, Tom escorted police to the trio's former camp. Uh, they, the rifles and the bodies of Julio Torres and Rusty uh, were found. And over the coming days, Tom remained forthcoming in the police investigation. He even willingly took and passed a polygraph test. Mm. So we know how those things can be. Mm-hmm. If you if you are a, a sociopath that truly believes your lies, or at least can convince your own body that you believe the lies, yep. you're that stone cold about the things you do. You just it doesn't like emotionally affect you. Yeah, you can pass a polygraph, and you've also had days to come to terms with this and to go over yep. it and over it. Two to three days, yep. you know, they were out there together going over. And what it's happened. a lifelong criminal, a guy who lifelong just doesn't criminal. have any remorse for these evil things he does. He That's doesn't right. Feel bad he, about it. He started being a criminal at 16. He's almost 30 years old. I mean, yeah. almost half his life. Yeah. So who knows what he did in that, in that gap there? You know what I'm and who saying? knows what he did before 16? That's Probably true. Probably was doing some bad shit before that, that incident. That's true. So police with uh, had no choice in the matter. They didn't really, there's nothing they could do about it. With everything lining up with their stories of what Kendra and Tom had told them, they would officially rule Julio's death accidental. Mm. And Kendra, after this, obviously wouldn't move back into that apartment that she shared with Julio. No. Um, she moved in with her parents during following that tragic weekend. Her mother, Lola, though, could sense that something was not right. Of course, a parent is knows their, their children best, a mother right. especially. She could sense that something was not right about her daughter, aside from the grief, of course, that she was going to feel, even if it was an accident. She could tell that the story, that something was not right, when her daughter would, would recant this story, she could tell that it was like rehearsed. Um, she said it was like hearing someone read uh, on the radio or something. It was like there was no emotion behind it. It sounded uh, rehearsed and scripted. Yeah. Um, and uh, however, she held firm on her story 
for now, at least until she returned to the apartment that she had shared with Julio. So, of course, she needed to go back to the apartment to get some things. Her right. parents uh, accompanied her uh, back to the apartment. And apparently, as soon as she walked into the apartment, um, she just broke down. And she started crying and telling her parents, don't hate me. And oh. it all came out. And we, they would get to the real story. Um and it's interesting, she also mentioned that days before the trip, um, her and Julio had a bad feeling about this trip. She said that she had uh, some nightmares about this trip, that something was going to go wrong. And when she shared her feelings to Julio, expecting him to kind of calm her down and say, oh, right. you're, you know, you've been silly, we're just going camping. He apparently had some same feelings. Uh, he told her that he was feeling, you know, kind of uneasy and anxious about this trip as well. Right. Nonetheless, they went forward with it. Um, that could have been also, because of their financial state too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, they were kind of tight on cash. And when you don't have that, that cushion, you know, maybe they rationalized that that was the form of their anxiety. And they're like, no, we'll be fine. You know, we'll catch fish to eat. We'll be, we're not going to yeah. get lost. And you know how life can be. Sometimes you lay in bed worrying about things that could oh happen the God. next day. And then yeah. the next day comes, it's bright and sunny and you're driving to work or whatever. And you're like, what was I worried about? Like it's a beautiful day. Like that's kind of how it was. They got to the woods and they were like, well, this is beautiful. What were we so worried about? Exactly. And that, I mean, yeah, that was then too. <laughs> like now I think it's amplified even more, you know, all the information yes. that people intake. It's like, we can absolutely understand why someone would have anxiety over something like that. Yeah. I mean, you've shared some crazy camping stories on this yeah. show and I think everyone, most people have had a, a suspicious camping story where you feel like, I think I dodged a bullet there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> in this case, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely had a few of those. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, check out just the banner for those. I think there's yeah. a, we've talked about that in, a, in an episode or two. Yeah, you shared some crazy ones for sure. Yeah. So she also recalled how when they first uh, encountered this Tom Brown, he didn't seem very receptive to to Julio. When Julio first mm. approached, Kandra was was still, I think, in the car, and Tom was kind of blowing him off. He didn't have the time of day to talk about fishing or anything with him until Kandra walked up. And then all of a sudden, his demeanor changed. He flashed her a wide smile, which she said made her uneasy, the way that he looked at her as though she was like a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when they first got to camp, when they had followed him up in there and they pulled up in the camp, he pulled out this milk jug that he had uh, a dead bird inside of that he had shot for fun. That kind of turned her off as well. You know, and she, she even mentioned, I don't like killing anything that I'm not going to eat. Right. And then, and then he bragged, well, I'm going to eat it later or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, she also didn't like the way that he loosely carried around his rifle. Uh, she, had, she had noticed, even as someone who wasn't really that in tune with guns, that he had multiple times already kind of flashed uh julio with the barrel in camp oh yeah he was very loosey-goosey with the barrel mm -mm. some foreshadowing there um it can't stand and for that. a comment that he had made had made her very uneasy prior to the accidents quote unquote he said about her dog rusty quote there are only two things wrong with him he's alive and walking jesus Right yeah. there, I'd be okay. like, this guy the was... second I get away away from Tom with Julio, I'd be like, let's get the fuck out of here. Get in the car. Seriously. Yeah. Like, take one of his rifles if we have to to defend ourselves, because this motherfucker right. is bad. I mean, God. Like, who says that? Seriously. About a, about a dog. A, a you ever encounter those people? A dog, too. You ever encounter those people that just hate animals, and you're just like, I, I can't, I can't be friends with you? I don't understand. Yeah, like hate your them. dog comes up to them and they're like, "Get that fucking thing away from me!" I don't like dogs. Like, I've, yeah. I've come across a few of those people, man, and they just make me uneasy. Especially if your dog what is the hell's wrong with you. Especially if your dog is well mannered, like it's just sitting there yeah. waiting to be petted or yeah. something. It's one thing if it jumps up on their lap and licking yeah. their face. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I don't want a dog jumping on me when I first meet a dog either. I don't want it jumping up on my chest or up on my. But lap you know what I mean. Not. There's those people that have disdain but, for animals. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 That's that's crazy. red flag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as she broke down and was telling her parents a lot of this stuff, she also began to realize that she couldn't actually picture the moment that Julia was shot, even though she had told police and her parents that she had witnessed it. Now she was realizing she couldn't actually picture that. She had definitely heard the gunshot, mm -hmm. and she had definitely seen Julio's head covered in blood, but she didn't think she had actually witnessed the shot. And at this point, her mother said, quote, My God, Kendra, don't you realize that man murdered your husband? Mm -hmm. And over the coming days, she was struggling uh, what, with it. 
Yes. It, her mind was not allowing her. The trauma was not allowing her to see the truth of what had happened. She was over the coming days, But over the coming days, the memory flooded back to her. They, these memories became unlocked from her memory. Mm -hmm. um, on August 2nd, six days after she had gone with Tom to the sheriff's office, Kendra returned this time with her parents. And she said, quote, it wasn't an accident. And we get to the heart of the real story. And that is that the morning of Saturday, July 24th, they had gotten up early to go hunt for deer, that being Tom and Julio. Yes. Kendra had not gone with them. She had not witnessed what had happened. She had stayed back at the camp with Rusty. Right. This, I'm sure, was all a part of Tom's plan. He wanted her back at camp so she couldn't see what was going to happen because he was definitely planning to kill her husband. Absolutely. A bit later, she heard the gunshot. Moments later, she saw Tom walking back to camp. Of course, she's sitting in camp anxious. She hears that gunshot. She's hoping to God that was a deer that they shot. But she has an uneasy feeling about Tom. She didn't like that they went off together. Uh-huh. Uh, and then seeing just Tom walk back to camp, I'm sure gave her chills. Oh, definitely. And he said, quote, we got us a deer. And he told her that Julio was in the field, field dressing or gutting the animal. Uh -huh. which made no sense to Kandra because Julio had no experience hunting. He wouldn't know the first thing about gutting a deer. Didn't make any sense to her. Um, so she, Red at flag. that point, hurried in the direction of which Tom had come, where they had allegedly shot this deer, at which point behind her she heard another gunshot and turned around to find that her dog, Rusty, was the next target. And he was basically laying there twitching. Mm. And... Um, at which point she went and picked up Rusty because he appeared to still be alive and uh, asked Tom if, if she could help him. And Tom said, he's just twitching. He's, he's going to die. I've, I don't shoot things and not kill them. Or He said some evil shit like that. Oh, God, dude. Yeah. And this, these things were probably so unreal to her at the time that her mind was not even allowing her to accept them. You know? Yeah, and, and, exactly. Especially at 16 years old. Yeah. And these are the things he starts to tell her after these, after uh, killing her dog and her husband. He says, you're not allowed to cry. I'm going to tell you a story. He told her that his name wasn't Tom. It was Kent. He wasn't a logger. He was a hitman for an organized crime group. Uh -huh. Just completely spewing lies at her. He said he was on the run from the mobsters that he worked for because he had killed one too many people. He told her that he had killed Julio because he needed a female companion strong enough to live in, off the land with him. And oh, she's God. telling him, I don't know how to live off the land. You picked the wrong one. <laughs> and after telling her these lies, he said, now you can cry. Of course, at which point she broke down. But what was she going to do at this point? She, she knew she wasn't going to make it out of there alive unless she, her survival instincts, I'm sure, are kicking in. And she's thinking, I have to play along with this son of a bitch for as long as it takes. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, um, at the very least, to get out of the woods, that's your only chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She doesn't, even, and, she doesn't even know how to get help. At this point, no. she can't. Yeah. <sighs> Tom would give her camouflage clothing to wear and forced her to hike into the mountains with him. He had no plans of going back to society with her. No. And, of course, uh, during their hike, they would stop off uh, and he would repeatedly rape her because, of course, that's what this whole thing was about. There was no other motive here. He was a no. fucking dis despicable creep. He would rape her multiple times um, and then he would begin to open up about what an evil shithead he was he would start talking about how he was a big fan of adolf hitler and how he hated his family Jesus. however as the as the hours wore on they would begin to talk about more benign things they would discuss a variety of topics and kandra began to successfully humanize herself to tom one of the things that we brought up in our how to survive an encounter with a serial killer yes. you know is to humanize yourself to make yourself less indispensable i guess or more indispensable right and to um, also express like you know, even as fake as it has to be, a, mm -hmm. a care and consideration and understanding and empathy for this yep. psychopath. However, mm -hmm. you have to do it. And yep. for her to do that at 16, I think she had to like fully buy in to the lie. And I don't know how much of that was conscious or how much of it was a defense mechanism built into her uh, DNA, you know, that we have inside of us. We, we'll talk a little bit about Stockholm Syndrome. Obviously, that plays a big yeah. role in this case. And thankfully, it was a new phenomenon to law enforcement and society that it had just kind of hit uh, the public's, right. you know, eyes. This so it was whole at the forefront concept. of their minds. Yes, because in 1974, a big event happened in Stockholm uh, that made people uh, made people aware of this defense mechanism that we have inside of us. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
Nonetheless, on the second morning after Julio's murder, while in the woods with Tom, Tom awoke with a bad cough and became convinced that he had pneumonia and that he was going to die in the woods and began writing letters to his friends saying he was going to be dead. Mm. And he, she began to become concerned that she would never make it out of the woods if he died because he was, he was her lifeline to getting out of there. Right. As much as he was obviously had killed her husband and her dog, she still needed him to get out of the woods. Absolutely. And she began to convince him that like she was with him and he began to see this and change his story saying that Julio's death was an accident. Yeah. Uh, Kendra, afraid that Tom would die and leave her alone in the mountains, said that she would confirm his story to police. She began to, she even says in her own words, I I began to actually believe that he really did accidentally kill my husband. I didn't actually think, I believed him is what she was saying. And I think she also rationalized it in a way of like, regardless of what he did, he's my only way out. But also coming from a religious background, because a fun fact, those few nights that they spent together by the fire, she would read him the Bible like out loud. Right. And mm-hmm. why do you think she was doing that? I think she was doing that for herself as much as for him, you yes. know, trying to like show him there's a way it's like, even though you've done these horrible things, God can find a way to forgive you. And I can Great find point. a way to forgive Great you. Great point. Because as he was, I think there was even a quote she said where she was reading the, the Bible aloud to kind of make herself feel better. Mm-hmm. And he, he said to her uh, something about God would never forgive me. And she said, God forgives everyone. Exactly. Exactly. You know, which was a brilliant thing for her to say. Mm-hmm. That's what he needed to hear. Yep. And he needed and to so, hear that a believer would also forgive him too. So, mm-hmm. you know, she got to him a little bit in the fact yep. in the fact of like, well, maybe she could be with me. Maybe she will take my side, which, you know, she did initially with the police yep. even. So he begins to reiterate that he had accidentally killed Julio and he was afraid of uh, no one believing him. He would go to prison and she believed him and she tells him, we can go to police and I'll, t- I'll back your story up and mm. you won't get in trouble. And so he goes with it. He takes her down, back down into society. They walk in first into that attorney's office, which we mentioned earlier, because they didn't, they wanted backup as far as from the law. You know, they didn't want to go straight to the sheriff's office. They wanted an attorney as well. Smart right. on their part. Um, mm-hmm. And then they went with the attorney to the sheriff's office and uh, they both passed polygraph tests saying that this was an accident. Kendra, I'm sure it was easier for her to pass because she didn't witness the incident, you know, right. and she's still in shock and all of that and believes this is what happened, mm-hmm. but he is well past. And thankfully police were at this point aware of a newly discovered phenomena called Stockholm syndrome, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, here's the definition of it. It's a psychological response to being held captive. People with Stockholm syndrome form a psychological connection with their captors and begin sympathizing with them. In addition to the original kidnapper hostage situation, Stockholm syndrome now includes other types of trauma in which there's a bond between the abuser and the person being abused. Many medical and uh, professionals consider the victim's positive feelings toward their abuser a psychological response, a coping mechanism that they use to survive the days, weeks, or even years of trauma or abuse. And it got its name from a 1973 bank robbery incident that happened in Stockholm, Sweden, which during a six-day standoff with police, many of the captive bank employees became sympathetic toward the bank robbers. So this was three years prior to this uh, yeah. to this event in Oregon. Right. And so fresh in the minds of you know anyone working in the medical field or law enforcement or anything like mm-hmm. that. It Absolutely. was a big story. And after the employees at the bank were set free, some bank employees refused to testify against the bank robbers in court and even raised money for their defense. A criminologist and psychiatric uh, psychiatrist uh, investigating the event developed the term Stockholm syndrome to describe the affinity some bank employees showed toward their bank robbers. "Quote: I had nobody with me but a murderer." This is uh, this is now Kendra talking about her how she got duped and how you know what her mindset was during this time. Right. She said, "Quote: I had nobody with me but a murderer. Do I really want to believe he is a murderer? Because I, believing that is terrifying. Do I really want to think that my husband died so that someone could rape and kidnap me?" For me, denial was the best way to survive. Yep. 100% can see how that, I yep. mean, she didn't want to believe that that had happened because that, that's just, what does that spell for her? Doom. That means exactly. you're fucked. And believing that and showing that you believe that to him just em- emboldens him even more. You know, it makes him, mm-hmm. it puts it puts the sociopath, Tom, at ease. Mm-hmm. You know, he feels like everything is okay. He feels like, yep. oh, well, I guess she does believe me. My lies are working. Whereas if she fights it and she says, no, you killed my husband, what's he more likely to do what's at this point? Do? Well, she can't survive because then she's going to testify against him. Precisely. Yeah. Mm. 
So the police, they, uh, they were kind of like, they wanted to believe her at this point because they looked yeah. into his background. They knew that this story was kind of unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had to go with it because that's what she was saying at the time initially. But now she's coming back and saying this wasn't an accident. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. And they begin to dig more into the forensic, uh, you know, what they could do with forensics back then, which, you know, was obviously not as much as they could do now. But they could still look at the, you know, the, the bullet path and things along yeah. those lines. Yep. And things like gun re gunshot residue, um, which an autopsy had found that there was none of on Tom's face. And so they started to do tests on how far away a gun would have to be, a gun like what he had mm -hmm. that was used in the death, how far away would the barrel have to be from the victim's face to have residue left. And they found that the gun would have to be fired from 36 inches away or more for there to not be any gunshot residue yeah. left. And it's kind of hard three to hand, feet. It's kind of hard to hand someone a rifle when there's three feet in between you. Exactly. It just doesn't match up with the story. They were no. supposedly sitting right next to each other, right? Passing back and forth binocular and, and rifle and all this. And that's three feet from the target and the end of the barrel. Yep. Yep. Not so. from the stock of the gun, but from the barrel. Exactly. Um, so this coupled with the fact that the entry and exit wounds found on uh, Julio were ho in a horizontal fashion, which didn't match up with Tom's story of an accidental misfire. Right. I'm guessing the accidental misfire would have been more of an upward angled trajectory, That's not what I would think. straight across. If you're handing someone a gun, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. if you have the barrel up, which I don't know why you would do that, don't do that, but if you're handing someone like that, that's most likely, that's what I was thinking. The trajectory would be here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Coming in through the bottom of the skull. Yep. And so police, with uh, this newly found information about the, the trajectory the bullet took, the fact that the gunshot residue didn't match up, and now Kandra's story, believed they had enough. And they took what they had to a grand jury. And in December of 1976, the grand jury decided that Julio had, in fact, been murdered. And an indictment was handed down, charging Tom Brown with murder, among other charges. Mm. I think auto theft and things like that in there. Right. Um and Kidnapping. of course he was on the lam uh, as he often was somewhere in the woods and they were not able to locate him nonetheless a couple months later he had gotten wind that he was you know law enforcement was hunting for him and he went ahead and walked into the sheriff's office and turned himself in saying i heard that you guys are looking for me for something and i'd like to clear my name <laughs> not gonna happen bud no uh, absolutely not i can't believe that they, they may have not found him out there right yeah <laughs> It's kind of crazy that he did this. Especially if he had fled, he you know, during this time, he fled to the other side of the country or something. They may have never, for 20 plus years, located him. Right. In the 70s, too. <clears throat> yep. But this is part of his arrogance. You know, we see yeah. this with serial killers and, and guys like him. Is he, he, We see his mindset from jail when he begins talking to someone he trusted in jail. We see why he turned himself in because he thought he could get away with it still. Oh, yeah. Because he didn't believe Kander was going to testify. He, you know, he thought he could talk his way out of this. Yep. Meanwhile, Kander was busy writing an 18-page summary of what had happened on that fateful weekend. And Tom was likely fucked either way when he got to trial, but he sure didn't do himself any favors from uh, behind bars in jail awaiting trial. It just so happened that while he was in his jailhouse, uh, it, while he was in jail awaiting trial, his cellmate, which just seems like too good of a coincidence. It almost seems like police planted this guy that had a background with Tom yeah, in there probably. to get him to start talking. Because he happened to be bunked up in jail with a, a guy that he went to reform school with and a fellow criminal, a guy by friend. the name of Wendell, an old friend. And yeah. Tom uh trusted this guy enough to begin talking and and confided in them in wendell about how he had deliberately shot julio in the face it wasn't mm -hmm. an accident he had manipulated Kendra into believing it was an accident and he said that she wouldn't be strong enough to testify against him in court and he was going to walk out of this uh, unscathed he even wow. said that when he was acquitted he would kill the case's prosecutors and turn his sights to Kendra next yeah he probably should have left that part out for sure that's that's just yep. even more fuel for the fire for the prosecutors <laughs> to really fuck you. Yeah, this guy was brazen, wasn't he? He was really yeah. he was really uh under his own little spell there because why the hell would you think another criminal would keep your secrets, especially one that yeah. has something to gain? Yeah. His old uh, buddy Wendell there of course went right to the police to yeah. the prosecutors telling telling them everything Tom had told, uh, said and even agreed to testify against him in exchange for a reduced <laughs> sentence and a prison transfer. So Why not? Yeah, man. Hey. Absolutely. Yeah, prisoners are constantly looking for something that they can play in their favor. They need a chip and man, this one just fell right in his lap. 
Yep. Right in his This lap. is scary, though. Amazingly, two days before his trial was set to begin, Tom managed to uh, scrounge enough money together to make bail and was released from jail. And with mm. the mindset like he has, that was very scary for Kandra, for anyone involved in this case. Um, and I believe uh, prosecutors and the sheriff's office actually put her up in a hotel under uh, surveillance to, you know, protection. Yeah. Uh, until the trial began. You would have to. And uh, unlike what uh, old Tom believed, he didn't believe Kander was strong enough to testify against him. She did, in fact, testify against him at length uh, over the course of two days in the trial. Yeah. Um, Takes got up bitch. there, pointed the finger, and told <laughs> the jury everything that he had done to her. And he was unsurprisingly found guilty and charged to life in prison. And as of now, he remains in an Oregon State prison uh, and has been in there for the past 47 years. Mm-hmm. However, he is scheduled to be released next year, August of 2023. He's currently 75 years old. Man, and they let's can't. hope that, uh, yeah, let's hope that his, you know, release gets denied or he dies before that. Yeah, you can't let him because out. Because he just, yeah, dude, I mean, the things he's talked about, about hunting people down after right? his, serving his time or whatever, I, just, I don't it's know like, how much of that has changed over the years. Obviously, he's probably, he may be a different person after 50 fucking years, but... I don't know. It's like, that's one way to look at it, but you could also look at it as the fact that he's 75 years old. He has nothing to lose now. His whole life has been taken from him. It's like, you don't never know, man. People are spiteful. They might come out and be like, oh, I'm going to go out and, uh, you know, get back at all the people that I feel have wronged me. Yeah, and and meanwhile, Kendra has done countless interviews. She was interviewed on the Forensic Files episode. She's been interviewed on, like, Oxygen Network and all these different places. Yes, and she hasn't, she's been brave. She hasn't been shy about it. She doesn't have her face blurred out or her voice changed or anything. Like, she's right there telling her story. And Yeah, so let's hope he doesn't get out. Seriously. And he dies behind bars. Yeah, I don't see how he can be let out, man, for that kind of a cold-blooded murder like that. And kidnapping. He has another kidnapping on his record. He has other attempted murders. Like, for instance, I know there was when he was a minor, but still. Yep. Sometimes that speaks even more volumes, you know? Well, he didn't change from the time he was 16, doing those, uh, you know, armed robberies and things like that, shooting a man through his window to the time he was 30. Didn't change at all. Yeah, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get better. Forget it. Yeah. If by 30 you ain't grown up, man, that's, that's yeah. that doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But part of growing up is uh, choosing the right deodorant. Am I right? Yes. Right? Yes. And what does look good in your <laughs> it, pits is some Oh My Guy. It does. It also smells good. It does. Oh My Guy is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients, guys. There's no aluminum, none of those other things that you can't pronounce in your deodorant. It's all-natural. And there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, uh, coconut, dreamsicle, uh, there's sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, and so much more, guys, including our own scent for true crime guys called True Crime Pine. If you guys don't know where to start, that is a great unisex scent to start. And guys, if you're growing your beard out for the winter, check out the beard oil, too. You can get it in any of these amazing scents. I really love barbershop. Barbershop is a great beard oil oh, scent. Right? It's just yeah. it's fresh it's from so the barbershop. Just fresh and clean. Yes. It's so it's nice. nice. And it, you know, it goes around. And if you want something more more fall related, more winter related, whatever, Fireside is another great one, guys. But yep. because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's creeper. C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A dot com, guys. Again, you won't regret it, and there is links right below here with the code word right below the description of this episode if you forget. Also links to our other weekly sponsor below. That is Tonic CBD. It's true. Not all CBD products are created equal from how it's grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body. Every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017 and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible ever since. Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp on their certified organic farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Their farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. 
Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and for your body. They have a bunch of different blends. Uh, Chill is one of my favorites for anxiety. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower. It's nice right before bed, just soothes you into sleep. Yep. Um, they also use black seed oil, which is a powerful antioxidant. Um, so they blend system. in these these different superfoods into the into the CBD, and the CBD itself is so high quality. It's different than the crap you're going to get at a smoke shop or right. you know a gas station. It's this is high quality stuff. Right, because um, the 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 product is grown just 30 minutes from where it's manufactured. Yeah. Like in upstate New York, like you can't beat that, guys. It's not like it's being sat on the shelf forever or the product mm-hmm. is being ordered and then they're turning it in. No, they're growing and producing their own CBD Go products. on their Instagram and check out. They, they show a lot of the processing and yes. it's, I mean, some of the trimming of the buds they do, all of that stuff is, it's legit. At like the owner, Brittany, is, is sitting there trimming up these buds herself and everything is like, you know, the highest quality, legit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we don't even get paid any money. We just literally get paid in product. That's how much we love this, this company we love as well as Oh My Guy. Yep. Yeah. Um, so with values rooted in integrity, quality, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating a plant-based wellness product that is good for you, good for the people, and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper for 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com, code word creeper for 20% off. Right on. Also check also out Patreon. Also check out our Patreon. Yes, guys. Patreon.com slash true crime, guys. Uh, for two bucks a month, you get access to the 50 vault episodes that you probably don't see on your feed, our very first 50 episodes, as well as every Patreon exclusive that we have ever done. I think we're approaching number 70. Um, so right off the bat, if you've never been on Patreon, that's 120 episodes that you've never seen for just two bucks a month, guys. And after you run through those, you can upgrade to the $5 tier and get access to literally everything we create. All of our Sandu content from Sandu stories to strange shorts um every week Hear my creepy camping stories on on uh just yeah, the banter just the banter which we'll be yeah. back with just the banter it's the first of the year guys we just took a little hiatus here throughout the holidays give ourselves a, a little breather but uh yeah just the banter will be back at the first of the year but there's already 90 plus episodes on there um you can get to know me and lauren a lot better uh, yeah. but yeah everything on there for just five bucks a month guys and that's that's a that's a bargain I say, I mean, hundreds, yeah. hundreds of audio files, uh, episodes of Higher Thoughts, um, Five Minute Murder Show, which Lauren. If you have does a, a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend that loves the show yeah. um, and isn't a patron member, that'd be a great stocking stuffer or present yes, to give them a, a, a year's worth of uh, Patreon content because you can pay up front and save 10% doing that, 10 or 15. So a year yeah. on the $5 tier is 54 bucks. I yep. think you, you save a few bucks doing that. And then on the $2 tier, it's 21 bucks and you're done Yep, for the year. For the whole uh, year. Yeah. So. You don't have that, you know, your card getting hit every month for the subscription fee. So that's right. And also Patreon just uh, updated something to where you actually get charged. I think I spoke about this on another episode. You actually get charged on the day that you sign up now. Um, so before, if you signed up at the end of a month, so let's say you just, you signed up December 30th, you would pay for that full month of December. And then on January 1st, you would have to pay for another full month, just two days yeah, later. It's not like that anymore. Um, now you get charged on the day you sign up. So you Which get a, is nice. Cause it is nice. It's much you're, better. You're typically going to sign up at a time that's financially convenient for you, right? Where you have a right. little more expendable income. Uh, that's usually, you know, probably around when you get paid or whatever. Right. That, that makes sense to do it that way as opposed to the first of the month where you're getting hit for everything at once and you're just Absolutely. cash. Enough stuff comes out at the first of the month. A lot of people's rents do it the first of the month. You know, yeah. it, it gets, it gets kind of dicey. So yeah. So mm-hmm. now when you sign up, that's when you pay guys. So yeah. All right. right. Anything else? That about does it. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep creeping. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And happy holidays. And a happy new year and a happy holiday, whatever. Yeah, We'll see you before the new year. (laughs) See you guys. All right. See you. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. From the minds of true crime guys, come.
TCG Weekly. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to check out all the other programs on the TCG Network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over? <laughs>